Well, welcome back to Bombadil's Porch. It's been a few weeks since we were here together, and uh, with our last uh, porch going as long as it did, should we shoot for a new record, or should we rein ourselves back in? Well, let's let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see what happens. I, I, we went two hours, right? So that counted it was like for a the bonus. week off. Yeah, right? it was a bonus episode. Quite two baked hours. in. It was, <laughs> it was an hour and a half. It was a lot. It was a lot of the minutes. Right. I've noticed, you, Chris, your voice has a particularly clear timber to it today. Have you adjusted your filters over there? I, I don't think I have. Maybe loud and clear. It's just a unique dispensation. <laughs> we'll we'll roll wow. with it though. We'll go with it. So, have you seen this story? It's been making the rounds about. Uh, some Russians having fun with one of our U.S. drones oh, until yes. they accidentally, I think, accidentally broke it. <laughs> How many days? What was this? Four four days ago? It's fairly recent. Very right? recent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it was just one of those random stories that reminds you there's a lot of strange stuff that happens up in the sky oh, yes. when you're all by yourself and you feel unaccountable to everyone and everything. But as much as that was an odd event... And then the narrative about it came out, and we said it happened this way, and they said it happened that way. You know, the, no, the drone fell apart after sharp mm. maneuvers. Uh, and then they released the video footage from the from drone. The drone. Yeah, of the jet smacking into it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there are a lot of phenomena taking place in the skies that don't have accompanying high-definition oh. video to explain them. Yes. And as we were getting started on the podcast today, you were bringing up UFOs or UAPs, as they're sometimes yeah, called. I don't today. like the new acronym because I grew up with UFOs. So it brings all the nostalgia of True. my childhood. The good old days. <laughs> the X Files. Should we call it the Area 51 era? Oh, That's man. Right. Oh, remember all. Did you guys get caught up in. I mean, not caught up in it, but there's fast, There's always a, an allure. There is lore yeah, around right. Area 51 and Edwards right. Air Force Base. And there's an, even an Air, Area 51 uh, Dr. Squatch break. But anyway. Oh. <laughs> Caleb never fails. We're gonna so we're gonna release. I think we need to have a bingo card for the porch. Every time Caleb says a different one, you scratch it off. A different soap. Then then you get to check it off. Oh, that's good. Sorry, I had to just do that. You said Area Fifty One. I just had to. I think we do need to challenge our listeners to start sending in uh, via our website uh, just a tally of how many uh, Doctor Squatch um, or something else. Maybe one of us says um a lot or yeah. Mm -hmm. Soap Maybe references. every time Caleb goes, mm hmm. There's something like that. Well, Sounds like we need to just have the Caleb specific bingo card. Well, that's true. <laughs> yes. So there are uh, UFOs. Yes. No, no, yes. no, UFOs. And I'm, I'm going to stick with the UFOs uh, because I, I'm sure someone, and this is the weird thing about this modern age we live in. Mm -hmm. People take things that are well understood and they relabel them. And uh, UFOs, is, we're going to stick with that. So unidentified flying objects. I'm assuming our listeners are familiar with this, but just in case not, <laughs> there is. Um, if you don't know what it is, it's a thing that it, you don't know what it that's is. That's right. It's flying. <laughs> it's an object, but it has been unidentified. Yes. The uh, And there is an entire industry, subculture, if you want to call it yeah. that, related to this sort of thing. Aliens. Um, the, the, like I said, the show X-Files was in the 90s, I think. Mm. And it had um, had all these kind of strange little, little um, uh, storylines for each episode. But the overarching theme through 10 seasons or um, hmm. that that 
that was the FBI had a special department known as the X-Files and uh, Special Agent Fox Mulder and, and his, his fearless, cynical assistant who is dedicated to science, Special Agent Dana Scully. Um, they, would, they would investigate these crimes or these weird happenings all over. And it was a, you know, alien abductions or a craft had crashed. And what was interesting in the show, and I, I think uh, Chris Carter was the creator of that show. I think what he did a good mm. job of was borrowing from all these myths and legends um, that were and short stories and science fiction that was kind of fun to if you're if you're inclined to conspiracy, which, by the way, every human is <laughs> uh, you love this stuff. But there was always this government agency that was shadowy and unnamed. And there was always these figures that no one could ever, ever get you know, arrest, even the FBI mm -hmm. that would always whisk away the evidence. And mm. so, um, back in the nineties and I'm sure in, in, um, decades before there has been a fascination with what are these things or are they even real? And I think for the most part, uh, especially in the aviation industry, there has been a culture of, if you see something, don't say something. Because then you'll go into your psyche valve and your FAA flight surgeon will probably uh, ground you. In the last few years, though, it has been interesting, and I don't understand necessarily why. Uh, Congress has released all kinds of information and begun to release even more about um, documentation, not of little green men, but of flying objects that cannot be explained. And so well, my, my interest is, is, I guess, Twofold, um, not necessarily what are these things, although that would be kind of interesting if, you, if, if it does exist so you could actually see one. My interest is uh, why all of a sudden now is, this, is there this, um, uh, this I'm going to say it right this time, <laughs> resurgence. Early, earlier listeners, I said resurgence with a Z. Mm, yes. Why is there this, this resurgence of interest in UFOs? Um, and maybe it's just because it's been in the news and I find that interesting too, because whatever you're looking at in the news, someone decided to allow it there. And that's my conspiracy side coming out, but it's reality. I mean, they, they can't report on everything. Um, but what's the, what's the reason for the renewed interest? And, um, and then also as, as Christians, it might be fun to explore. The Bible does not speak to this, but you know, like to understand what do you guys think from a biblical perspective um, about why people might be interested in this as a whole, because lots of people are in different countries. This is not a U.S. phenomenon. And then uh, how, do, how does a Christian react to this kind of thing? Yeah, I can think of a number of potential options. I don't know. You got anything? What's, what's your angle? Caleb, are you into UFOs? Are you, is that one of your... I think so. Yeah. What, 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 is your, what is your knowledge or your experience with the whole subject? Not a lot. <laughs> you haven't been abducted um, no I, I, well not that i know of i would imagine if they could abduct me they could erase that from my memory you but. usually don't have any memory they say yeah. that's what x-files said it. right mm. right so if you think you were abducted you probably weren't is that how it works uh, i'd have know. to ask fox Mulder. Uh, uh, right uh, yeah yeah no i mean i think there's yeah world that that are i know i know the world's getting smaller and we're being able to explain a lot more things but it's it's kind of hard to tell I think I'd like to think UFOs exist. I'd like to think <laughs> that there's something that we just can't understand. Um, just because I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. But well, there's no question that UFOs exist in the sense that sure there are things where like I'm not I don't know what that is. Sure, it's unidentified to us yeah, anyway. Unidentified to the person who's observing it. Right. Yes. Right. And the, so, so, are yeah. you saying you you'd like to think that there are um, 
objects in our sky that are of no natural explanation? Is that what you're saying? I don't or? know. Maybe. I mean, not that they're like <laughs> aliens or something, but more more like just, uh, you know, I, I think there are things that, that we are still limited in, you know, so mm-hmm. like Nessie, you know, Loch Ness Monster, you know, Champ, like Champlain. I think, I think some of those, you know, those guys uh, probably at least did exist, whether they've died now. Uh, you know, maybe the Yeti, the Bigfoot, the Chupacabra. It'd be, it'd be you know, I, I, know, I know I'm getting a little bit out. I like how he's like, I don't really have any opinion on this. <laughs> I, I just, I just <laughs> actually subscribe to all the theories. <laughs> There you go. I like how, how carefully you waited in and then you just dove yeah. under. I have so many fun ideas for how to prank your house now. Oh, no. Footprints start appearing in your... Sasquatch. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are... Now, of course, um, you know, the, the fact that you can never... No one can ever quite get their hands on the evidence is, is kind of telling, telling, I think. But there are stories all over the world about unexplained... Things or beings or, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, I, I find it interesting that uh, we still, in spite of the fact that the nature of science is to understand more what's in front of me mm. and then by testing, find out everything that I have wrong about it and learn more about it. Right. I find it interesting. That is the process. How often uh, as a, how all of us have been conditioned to kind of have this assumption of what we know is what we know. Mm-hmm. When, if you look at history, we're always learning more about the natural world we're learning more about other civilizations, meaning people. Um, I do find it fascinating, though. Like, the, the, you've, you've got folks that um, are notable in terms of uh, mathematicians, t- more more physicists, that are willing to actually talk about and speculate about these things. Not so much what they are, but if it was real, if it was mm-hmm. some some other extraterrestrial, which means non-Earth civilization, um what what would have to happen? And I think it's interesting. Like now, now we're in a point probably because of uh, uh, the, where quantum study has gone. Um, they're saying, well, they probably, they would have to be interdimensional. Mm-hmm. The distances are too great. And the fact that if a, if a craft could travel these hundreds of light years from some other planet, uh, the distances are too great. Um, they would either they have to be tapped into some other kind of propulsion if that was the case. But then if all that was true and they arrived here, there's no way that we could shoot them down with a sidewinder missile. Right. Mm. <laughs> so I do. I just find it interesting, like um, not so much what they are, because I don't I don't have any idea. Um, but and uh, in, in, in to Chris's point, it could be that some of these things are just, uh, you know, some sort of natural phenomenon that that look um, man-made or, or, or intelligent made. But, um, but I just, I think it's interesting that there is this ongoing fascination. And I will say, I think it's, I think there is kind of a, a swell of interest in this sort of thing. And, and as a, as a believer, I sort of wonder, I, I'm always wondering why. And as a believer, I wonder, is this something that, um, if you think about it, if you, if you have an interpretation of end times that Jesus will return and call us up to be with him in the clouds, rapturous, if you will. Um, in that moment, the world is going to struggle to understand why all these people have disappeared. And I realize it'll be a remnant, so it won't probably be half the planet, almost certainly not. But it, we'll need to be, have an explanation. Is this some sort of yeah. spiritual primer mm. to explain that? <laughs> um, or is it something else? Or is it just human fascination with the unknown? Yeah, and I think it could be a bit of all of the, all of the above. Um, 
our knowledge as creatures is always going to be finite. And I do think that, especially in a world that constantly gives the impression that we know everything, uh, that gnawing reality that we know so very little tends to resurface in a lot of ways. One of the ways that it does that is, is our imagination, um, whether it's in the literary types of, of science fiction, et cetera, or whether it's um, in speculation about observed realities that, that we don't have all the background information on. I think that's one of the factors that plays into this. I think there's also always, um, there's a desire to be included in the higher knowledge. Mankind just always wants to get in on the, the secret club that knows knows the mystical things and goes all the way back to the garden of Eden. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. And in, in Western culture in particular, uh, Gnosticism has been so uh, prevalent as, as a, as a force, uh, even though the Gnosticism proper doesn't really uh, have a, a lot of following today. Uh, remind, Gnostic- us, remind us about Gnosticism for, for yeah. Us. Gnosticism essentially being the idea that, uh, that there is this secret knowledge out there that you can be inducted into. And uh, if you want to get into more of the formal structure of it, it's the idea that you had this God, the great urge, and then he sends these emanations from him of these successively less spiritual and more physical demi-urges uh, that, that make God more and more knowable to fleshly beings like us, but, pr- but then form sort of this ladder uh, of beings that can help us if we will keep learning how to ascend to the next being, uh, we can work our way back up to the divine and the purely spiritual and get away from the fleshly. And so it's kind of a hatred of of this <clears throat> fleshly body. It end, it ended up being that ended up being part yeah. of it. But but what was the the allure of it was just that there are people who know. Oh yeah, and you don't. And if you can get initiated into the club, like that department of the FBI. That then, is a primal, then you can be in the know. That is a primal urge. Tell right. me not everybody. Everybody wants to be on the inside. And we've probably also all yeah. been in a position where there was the things where I'll tell you when you're older or you, yeah. the, you don't, you know, the, the, the filing cabinet that you don't have access, you don't have the right <laughs> to access. And, uh, and then you do. And you're like, this stuff's boring. <laughs> you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was disappointing. I have experience with that, by the way. I had I'm a pro- sure. A project some time ago and it was all under wraps and you needed all this special approval and clearance and whatnot to, to work on it. Mm-hmm. And I waited and these things take a little time. Mm-hmm. And so waited and waited. And finally, finally it came through and I was able to work on the project. And I was so stoked because, you know, now we're dealing with James Bond stuff, <laughs> right? It was the most boring project I'd worked on. Like <laughs> to, it was like, Oh my goodness. Technologically, there was nothing cool. Uh, but yeah, usually those sorts yeah. of things, once you're in, you realize, Oh, that's it. <laughs> right. But there is, there is that sense. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to the fact that we were designed to be beings dependent on revelation. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have a, a craving for revelation. We, we must have it or, or we can't know. And, and that's part of the Christian worldview, obviously, at a very fundamental level is that we know only because God reveals. And, and his word um, is the basis of our, of our ontology, of our epistemology, and we, we build out our whole Christian worldview from the fact that we are revelation receivers. So I think that that's, that's often in the background of can, some of this. Can we speculate about that a little bit? And, and by speculate, mm-hmm. I want to focus in on Genesis chapter 2. Is that where Eve is having the conversation with the serpent? To three, three but is the fall. Three is but so yeah. that let's yeah. We, but right in there, first few chapters of of, of the Bible, mm-hmm. um, pre-fall. So yeah. the serpent is speaking to to an unfallen woman right. and uh, Eve and and her and her husband. Mm-hmm. 
um, Adam because it says he was with her. So, mm-hmm. but but pre-fall, like it's interesting that the serp that Satan Lucifer knew to appeal to that part of her. So it suggests right. that a, a a major characteristic of pre-fallen humans was this desire to know. And I wonder if that's just part of that worship impulse God created us with. I mean, if you think about it, sin had not happened, the curse had not happened. Yeah. Uh, Living in paradise, uh, from what we can tell, you know, certain tasks, but they were enjoyable. Adam was equipped for the task, highly intelligent, obviously from the task that was given him of Mm. naming the animals, et cetera. But it, it suggests that like that existence that desire to know was perfectly tuned for a relationship with the, with the almighty and the, in, the infinite God. Right. So you could, and in fact, I, I see, I wonder, and the reason I'm speculating here is, does this tell us something about, um, the eternity, our eternity, uh, with the Lord Jesus, that, uh, is that going to mm-hmm. kind of reset back to a process of, of spending all of eternity, knowing more and more about him just because that impulse to know more and knowing, no, know, knowing more and more about everything. Like, yeah. I think, I think curiosity will be one of those attributes mm. that, that expands, um, in, into eternity. It is not going to be diminished in any way. Yeah. We're not just given all the answers because that's actually not as, that would be an unsatisfying thing to do to a creature like us. We'll have all the time in the world or whatever universe God has recreated. We know there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. All the time in the world, in the universe, Mm -hmm. to explore those curiosities. I think one of the the things I hate most, well, there's many things that this life uh, is frustrating about, but one of the things that's always frustrating is there's no time or resources to pursue those curious impulses. Like, wow. I'd like to know what's around that corner. Mm-hmm. And then you go around there and I'm, what's around that corner? I mean, there's, there's just all these limits on, on what we can right. do. You won't run out of time. So, so that's, that's, I think a part of what the ongoing appeal of such things is. And in an increasingly technological age, I think you see the same impulse that wants to find the mythical creature that wants to find the unicorns and the, the you dragon. Know, mm-hmm. Yeah. To fill in the blank there. Um, that, that part of us sort of keeps, developing in different creative ways, depending on, on the technological development of the world. But that doesn't mean that there aren't actual phenomena or, or objects that, that we at least can't identify. The observers can't identify. And it is, it is interesting that you asked the question, you're like, why, why now, why the resurgence Hmm. now? And and that'd be interesting to see kind of what what you think because you can put it or the range of possibilities sort of goes from the cynical to the interesting, right? right? Uh, and it's usually it, a little bit of both, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, so. I I think uh, first of all, if you go into like uh, UFO lore, and I, I don't get too heavy into this, but I listen. Yeah, how, to, how deep down this rabbit hole? I listen to yeah, some yeah. podcasts <laughs> that are fun to listen. To. Nice. I love a good conspiracy. It doesn't mean there I buy go. into it, but it's entertainment. It's like watching it is uh, you know a Tom Cruise movie or something. The, uh, although some conspiracies are most obviously true, but, but in this case, UFO lore, I, th- as I understand it, we may have some listeners that are experts and I would not pretend to be one, but the idea is that there, the, this massive surge in sightings and massive surge in reports of abductions and, 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 you know, inner encounters with ETs, extraterrestrials, uh, in that world that really embraces this stuff and believes it, there's a journalists, independent investigative journalists that, you know, believe this stuff hardcore. But they, they say that when we started, um, when we achieved atomic bomb capabilities, that those blasts and the testing, and then certainly, you know, the first, uh, the blasts mm-hmm. in, in World War II, and then in the testing that ensued, they believe that it, um, 
it was it, it grabbed the, the flare grabbed the attention of of the uh, transdimensional mm, others yes and and as a result they've been keeping an eye on things to find out what's going to go okay. on so uh, anyway that's that's the lore more 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 <laughs> and, and it's just you know mm-hmm. a combination of myth and science fiction and whatnot but i think it's interesting right now uh there are these surges in interest in these things and i think you've you've talked mm. about it though at the the uh uh, for for our our high IQ listeners, our anthropological <laughs> reasons. Uh, for the rest mm. of us, and I would definitely be in the rest of us. Uh, for uh, you know, for for the the reasons of the heart, like why are we why are people curious about this stuff? We touched on that, but I find it interesting that this this these jumps tend to not they tend to coincide with other things that. And, and earlier when we were chatting about this, you know, there is a you've got. High-end influencers, podcasters, uh, you've got, and, and anybody has anybody has a podcast anymore. Um, so you've got people like Joe Rogan, probably the world's largest podcaster by far, whether you like him or not, hugely influential in pop culture. Um, you've got guests of his, you've got people, other podcasters that are talking a lot about this. So it clearly mm-hmm. has grabbed some attention. And so part of it is, you know, they want to yeah. talk about it. And so all the people listening to them are now talking about sure. it. Sure. Social it, contagion effect. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And also the <laughs> government has released some files about this stuff. Yeah. So that, you know, kind of a renewed interest there. But I think, um, I find it interesting that this, this renewed fascination or, um, about UFOs is also happening at a time when there is a resurgence in an interest in things of the occult. And I'm not saying that UFO people are occultists. I'm not saying right. that occultists are UFO enthusiasts. They might be both. I don't think there's a connection there. I just find it interesting culturally <laughs> that you see a resurgence of interest in both. And and I was explaining to you guys a little bit earlier. I don't really, I don't really, you know, it's not like I'm looking around for what's happening in the occult. It's not, it's not a focus mm-hmm. for me, but I have encountered it almost as a matter of coincidence in in various areas. Now, Chris, I think you shared with me that when you first moved to the the Spokane area, which was mm-hmm. how many years back? Thirteen. So quite some time, you were surprised at the amount of occult type activity here in this locale, right? Yeah, and, and a bit of a a bit of a darker variant. Um, there was a lot of occulty stuff out on the west side where I grew up, but it was heavily wedded with New Age. And, and people so, burning incense and banging drums and, right. and doing so hot yoga, more, right? More likely to be yeah, yeah combined with with yoga exercise and and uh, herbal extracts, and and it did, it did seem like it was more of an old world occultism that that seemed to be more out in this area. I want to jump into that before we completely leave oh, the topic sure, of UFOs, sure. just because we brought it up here on the porch. I think just trying to round that topic off. Um, I was going to dance between them, but go oh, ahead. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Um, I do think part of what makes it interesting today is a zeitgeist that's mm. that's more interested in in paganism, and and we'll, that's where I know we want to go. I also think it's it's always smart for the Christian to be aware that there's a lot of things we don't understand. Um, we shouldn't be surprised that there are phenomena we can't explain, and part of that is because we also understand that the universe is not just material. Uh, even even Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. And so there are there are spiritual realities all around us, actually a lot more interesting and a lot less visible than a UFO. And so that's that's part of the reality that we accept as true as Christians. But I think we also need to be be aware of uh, 
stuff like this is is fantastic diversionary and escapist um uh ten, ten trends in a in a culture it does seem like this kind of stuff tends to spike right before world wars break out when you when you have titans clashing you know right before world war ii there was a huge resurgence of this stuff uh um there's there's kind of this something out there come save us <laughs> almost as you're as you're watching what can feel like the inevitable clash between these these continental forces and so i think some of that's there i think it in news cycles it can be a palate cleanser you know when when certain politicians and things don't like what's in the news cycle stuff like this is a great way to just sort of flush that all out yeah um and and so i you know we want to we don't want to say that there aren't unexplained things out there because there are. We know that that's the case. We don't want to say that anything we can't explain has a naturalistic uh, explanation. And by naturalistic, naturalistic, I mean explainable exclusively by what we can test with the scientific method because we believe that we live in a universe where that's not going to always be the case. But we also want to be very careful um, because it's easy to be duped and manipulated uh, by by such things or even just distracted from other things mm. that are more important by such things and so yeah if if you see something going whizzing over your head and you're like i have no idea what that was <laughs> it, you can just say that's the kind of world we live in well i was sitting with you on my back patio we were burning stuff <laughs> that's right and i think you spotted it first right <laughs> Uh, I did at least spot it. I don't it know. If was, it, it was for, fascinating for our listeners. I, th I think it was Chris who suddenly stood to his feet. Now I'm now I'm getting dramatic, <laughs> and pointed to the skies to the north and said, "What is that?" or something like that. And and so I turn around. I think Will Martin might have been there. We I both, don't think I struck quite such a. Oh, he struck a pose I did. That's similar right. to the the image of George there Washington crossing the Potomac against the sky, <laughs> one finger raised defiantly to the heavens. Uh, someday people will will. Uh, Paint the scene in oils, no doubt, and mm. uh, and drape you black in an American on black flag on black. <laughs> yes, but but for a moment <laughs> yeah. we witnessed a UFO. The problem was we quickly identified it by well, googling what was see. going on. Yeah, <laughs> it would be unidentified orbiting object. It was Elon Musk's fault, folks. It was uh, <laughs> part of his uh, Starlink. Yeah, really cool satellite to see, deployment. By the way. Mm -hmm. So what we saw uh, for 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 our listeners here who are interested, what we saw was a string of pearls. They like yes, to call it that, and it was a in. In the, in the night sky, if you look up there on a, on a cl particularly clear night, and, and you got to let your eyes adjust, get away from, you know, city lights, man-made light, and, a, and even a fireplace. Uh, but if you stare at the sky, you can see satellites. And, and the way you can discern a satellite from everything else is, this, well, similar. You could see planets because they're bright and they don't blink. Right. You could see stars because they blink, sort of. Um, and then the, the satellites look like planets, except they're moving steadily, not blinking, solid light moving across the sky. And, and you can kind of follow them from one horizon to the other. It's pretty cool. When I was a kid, it was much more rare. Now it's very common. So what we saw, though, which was unusual, and I had never seen this with my, my eyes before, was we saw, in fact, probably close to a dozen, I'm approximating. That sounds about right. Yeah. Satellites. Equally spaced, closely together, and from our vantage point, perhaps an inch apart, but we saw them moving in a perfect line <laughs> across the sky. And that's how they deploy the Starlink. And then uh, one at a time, they, they started would peel off. off. Yeah. And yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, it was some serious UFO action. And then we yep. Googled it and we're like, well, that actually is kind of even cooler now that we know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I find it really interesting 
the distractions that these create, I think mm-hmm. that's a great way kind of cleanse the, the, the media palette. Mm-hmm. What better way to distract people than something like this? I also think as, as believers, I do find it kind of interesting. Um, as modern believers, we tend to, um, we believe in an almighty supernatural God, of mm-hmm. course, uh, tr- every true believer must I mean, that's the nature of our salvation is understanding who he is and who we are and our desperate need for his rescue. Um, but it is funny that when we encounter things that are supernatural, um, and I'm not saying that these UFOs are, let's say when you encounter mm-hmm. something that's inexplicable, we're very uncomfortable with it. Um, <laughs> after all, we're people of the book. We must, but I do find it's interesting. It's kind of like when God heals someone, we're surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like you've been praying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you make a great point that God has made an amazing universe. Yeah. He's made an amazing planet. Um, the oceans we scarcely understand in spite of our arrogance and the way we act as if we right. stroll around this planet understanding everything. I mean, Nessie's been ducking us for years. Yeah. And what right. are the others, Caleb, that you're tracking? I got I, I to gotta watch his Reddit Chupacabra, feed. Chupacabra, I, I think I came out there. And, uh, we got Do you have a Pinterest oh, page I can look? Nessie and Champ and Chupacabra. And okay. Uh, Do, are you tracking anything that hasn't been turned into a no. Dr. Squatch soap? Actually, maybe I'll throw that out as an idea, though. We could there do you uh, go. That's good. They could have a series of soaps on other mythological uh, UFOs. Too, the, the, well. con, the conspiracy soap series. There we go. Yeah. Ooh, conspiracy soap. That desire for the unknown, that desire for find answers somewhere else. Yes. Uh, it it right. is a pull. And that's why I bring up the occult, because I think yeah. people are drawn to it. Mm-hmm. I, um, as I was sharing with you guys earlier, I was looking at, there's these things, these uh, EDM, electronic dance music, uh, it's just nothing new. And in fact, it's funny how many genres of every sub genres of music there are. I was just talking to one of the kids about this. I said, you know, and back when I was a kid, there were like 15 genres of music. Now there's like 5,000, right? And I said, it kind of <laughs> makes, I wonder if there's a correlation between that and the fact that everyone is special now and has their own diagnosis. <laughs> I don't it's, know. <laughs> it's like the Hegelian dialectic applied to music, right? You know, you, you invent a genre, somebody has to form the antithesis of your mm. genre just because. And then you fuse and then synthesize and them. And true creativity is yeah. fusion of two things. And now yeah. I've created a third. And, right. Yeah, and then that yeah. needs its new, yeah. So, so on we go to the perfect music genre. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> and, and EDM is a broad space of, um, for those of you who aren't into this, I mean, it's it's just, you know, dance yeah. music. Um, although there are some really interesting I, – I, I'm a bit of a fan of, of EDM. So I'm amazed at the power of sound on your mood, uh, music you can feel. Mm-hmm. like, And I mean not feeling in an emotional way. You can feel it in your rib cage. <laughs> uh, there's just there, – there, it's powerful. And it this has man a, likes a good subwoofer. No doubt. No doubt. And when you look at these concerts – I've never been to an EDM concert, but they have big concerts, which sounds strange to me, right? This idea that there's a DJ, a guy up front – not even with a real turntable anymore. It's a fake turntable in a playlist <laughs> um, that is playing, you know, electronically spinning these tunes and you'll get crowds of tens of thousands, in some cases, more people that are there for three hours, just dancing to it. A lot of them are high or whatever, but they're, <laughs> they're caught up in the moment. And I find that interesting. The power of music, the power mm-hmm. of art, fascinated by it. But back yeah. to the EDM. They have these things called laser shows, and they really are phenomenal. If you go YouTube this stuff, you can look up EDM laser show. I don't even doesn't even matter what artist you're looking at. I mean, you are talking incredible light shows, not just lights turning off and on, but just phenomenal. And it's there is a true artistry to the way the uh, 
what you see visually has been paired with the music mm-hmm. that you're hearing. Epilepsy warning. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, fair, fair, fair warning there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's certain people probably medically cannot go to these concerts. But I was looking this up a while back. And, and, and mainly cause I was, I was trying to understand, first of all, I thought it was cool. And there was, I had some professional interests along the lines of what equipment was being used and who, and the art, the people that create the art that go along with this, it's not just lasers pointing around. There is an entire, uh, mural and it's, it's high def. It's massive. We're talking in some cases, micro led walls, the sizes of buildings where there's all this artwork that's been animated and you know, variety of things. If anybody's been to a concert, they know what I'm talking about. Not just EDM, but any concert you have this. But what struck me about this is I was, I found this one particular festival and I won't mention it here. Um, just simply because, um, because of where I'm about to go, I don't want to stimulate interest in it in any way. But there's one particular festival that is a bit of a, nat- a global touchstone for this sort of thing. And, and it's coveted to be the DJ that's going to be invited to this closing ceremony. And everybody wants it. It's impossible to get tickets to this thing. People are ordering them probably years in advance. And, and it's a, it's an indoor festival. It's um, it's in Europe and the, and it's known as kind of the high point. It's the Super Bowl of EDM and laser shows and multimedia extravaganza. And it is, it is, it's, uh, there's stuff happening up on stage. The stage is massive. There's stuff happening behind the stage. There's stuff happening in the ceiling. Um, and people, uh, the concert goers are just going berserk too. Not, not wildly. Like you could just tell it's a, um, an immersive experience, right? <laughs> so I'm watching this. And by the way, I was totally stunned by the artistry of it in a good way. At first, I was like, wow, that's interesting. A lot of symbolism flashing up on different screens, not necessarily overtly evil, but a few Egyptian angsts now and then. And that's nothing new. People have uh, continued to be fascinated by ancient Egypt. But it got me, th- I clicked on a few more. And what I found was, as a festival, and not just as a festival, but as the pinnacle of a global culture, the you can almost watch it. This thing's been going on for years. Um you can see a steady increase in the fascination with what I'll call new age and occultic themes. And, and I'm not saying that these people are knowingly worshiping the devil or something, but I find it amazing the growing, the resurgence, we'll use that word again, interest in things of the occult. And, and, and more, more recently in this particular show, they put out trailers very well done. High, uh, you're talking a lot of money spent on this stuff. Very high quality um, trailers that you have lyrics that are a vote. There's one chorus of a song, become your own God, become your own deity, I think was the line. Mm-hmm. And as this is pulsing, and you can imagine the power of, uh, I'm big into the power of art, as you know, um, that combined with with singers on stage that are are dressed up like warlocks and witches and for and not not like the the cartoony Harry Potter pointed hat like like it just there's a like I said there is a and I use the word attraction very carefully but there there's even dark art that you can understand the appeal of it sure. because there is a dark soulless beauty to it. And you have that and you have people floating around on stage and you've got this driving music and there's these shots of the audience and you can tell some people are high and everybody's completely <laughs> immersed in this. And, and, and at times even seeing people arms outstretched, eyes closed, it's a worship service. And I don't think they even know it. And so I think 
going back to it and hopefully haven't glorified that in any way. But I, I, I want to bring attention to the fact that as, as a, not just an American civilization, not just a European civilization by those, I guess I'm capturing Western civilization, but as a global population, there is an interest, a draw um, to things that, um, whether it's things that are off earth, there's this, you know, what's out there, the answers are out there or a draw towards the occult. And, and I, th- and I believe it's, it's surging and, and I want to, without going too long on this, there's even, and I'm going to sound like my dad did when I was in the eighties when he's like, that secular music's from the devil. And a lot of it is, um, um, except for the bands I like, but, uh, <laughs> but I, but, uh, but there are, there are pop stars right now, very popular that if you follow, there's podcasts that follow these folks and study symbolism and imagery and they're, they're drawing the correlations, certain big stars, uh, some even play Super Bowls, shall we say, and, and, and the, the prominence of, of demonic um, messaging, the prominence of certain colors. And I go back to, I'm not trying to say the color red is evil, but everything's intentional at this level. You're talking about mm, artistic, right. artistic visualization and artistic creativity that is at a, is at the highest levels. And I don't mean in a way of spiritually honorable, but I mean, in terms of professional quality and, and you have artists that are, are celebrating and, and if you look at one concert after another, some of these folks that track this stuff are saying there is a story being told in the imagery and in the lyrics, a story being told that is an intensely um, anti-traditional, anti-Christian message and, and tends to focus on occultic themes. So now that I've said all that and people are like, shoot, this sounds like I'm listening to, uh, to those cool videos back in the eighties behind the music or no, what was it? What was it? Kind of those videos that were Christian videos about how bad music was. Do you remember those? Oh, I was in Bolivia. Oh, I probably don't remember those. I got to find it and send it to you. So anyway, but anyway, I've, I've, yeah. I've set the table. I don't know that I did a good job of it, but I want to get your take on why is, why do you think these things, if, if indeed I'm correct, that there is a resurgence mm-hmm. of interest in these things, why is that happening? Well, and here's a question I want to I want to clarify with too, because I think there's sort of two flavors of occulty type stuff um, that I don't know if it works as a as a neat categorization system, but but go with me. Uh, one is what you might call the anti-Christian reactionary occultism. And that is an occultism that that focuses exclusively on um, on the demonic and on the evil, but in Christian terms. And mm-hmm. so they're they are going to worship Lucifer, right? Oh, that's interesting. And mm-hmm. and demonic uh, entities, as as understood through a through a biblical lens, the Church of Satan as an entity, and they sure. are an entity. And they're a bit of a might represent a bit of a satire, of but yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. But then there's what you might call a primitive or pagan occultism, which is going back to those false gods of the lands before the good news of Jesus Christ ever mm. reached any of them. We're talking about the gods of the Gauls. We're talking about the gods of the Celts and, um, and, and Druidism and, 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 and the, and the mythologies that run deep into the, into the lands. Nordic, uh, right. Particularly in the West, which is where yeah. we're talking about in, in old Europe that the, the lingering stories of of the worship of dark and evil things that predates the Christianization of Western civilization. And it seems to me that that is what is on the ascendancy. Mm. Would you, would yes. you agree? I would say so. And I think probably, probably because if I, and it's hard for me to place myself in the shoes of the creative 
producers <laughs> behind this. Sure. The artists are part of part of the production, but there are entire art departments that are brought on board to come up with this stuff. Sure. Um, I think, I think putting myself in their shoes, I mean, as a Christian, I, I can't ever stop being a Christian. So uh, as a Christian, I think there are demonic influences. I think there are mm -hmm. certain impulses and themes. Uh, Satan loves to bring attention to himself. He's the ultimate counterfeiter in all things. And uh, so not only does he wish to distract, but he wishes to become like God. That was his original sin. And, and so I think that there are impulses that come through in the artistry that, um, that bring attention to that. Now, do I think that these artistic directors are knowingly involved in that? Maybe. I don't know. But let's just say that they don't act actively know mm -hmm. that they're, that they're ch you know, channeling some of these impulses. I think for what them— What they do know is that, that it resonates. Exactly. I think yeah. and that's where I'm heading with this. I think they know that there is a fascination with these things. I think they know that there is a dark, art, a dark beauty to it. Um, Satan is an angel of light after all. Mm -hmm. I think they know that there is a draw to it. And I think they keenly understand. Oh, I was reading a book about that. They keenly understand something about the human mind and the human spirit. And I was reading this book. I thought it was really interesting. They, they referenced a study. Uh, the book was God's at War. I think I've mentioned that mm -hmm. to you guys. Uh, really good about idolatry. Um, hopefully we'll get to the commandments here. <laughs> um, but modern idolatry. Mm -hmm. and, and even Christians uh, have potentially false idols that they've erected in their minds and they've dedicated their, their affections to and don't even realize it. In that book, he talks about a study that was done, not, a, not by believers. It was just done to evaluate the human mind. And what they did is they, uh, they hooked up sensors to the brain. Somehow they do these tracking things. And then they put up religious imagery, imagery that they knew would be significant to uh, the viewer. And there's certain parts of your brain that activate uh, with religious Im imagery and then uh, they took that same group and they and they flashed up other things that are more materialistic, modern kinds of things, vacations and cars and houses I, I, or something like that. Same parts of the brain fire. And so I think I think pe the, the, these are these artists, artistic producers have a keen understanding of what what fires, what people are drawn to, what creates a and I'm going to use this word very loosely, a quote unquote religious experience. And there's various ways to manipulate that and contrive that. And so I think, I think the combination of imagery and music and, and mm -hmm. the, the appeal of the, of the, of darkness, I think that factors into how these things are produced. So I think to your point, it's less anti-Christian provocation and probably more, Hey, these old ancient, and even that word ancient, isn't mm. there a draw to that? Just saying the word, there I feel is. drawn to something, right? <laughs> well, um, God takes it for himself. He is the ancient, ancient of, of days. days. Yeah. And, but he, he, there's something about... So of course Satan's going to counterfeit it. I mean, think about the biggest movies of our time. Um, and I can't stand them. Sorry, nephews. I can't stand them because uh, the, the storylines are so shallow and, and mm -hmm. fragile. But, but the biggest uh, films of our time... Uh, are about are about modern day demigods and uh, and I and I, I I like Iron Man all right um, but but think about where the Marvel universe has gone for example or think about where uh, Star Wars uh, in terms of the eth the ethos and the philosophy mm -hmm. behind what's in that in that alternative world these are these are tying into impulses of things that are in a galaxy far long long <laughs> ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I'm a big Star Wars fan. Yeah. But there's something about long, long ago, you've already got me. In a galaxy far, far away. Right. Ooh, I'm really interested now. We're designed to. 
Yeah, exactly. We're designed to. And I think when you tap into a couple of things, you tap into the religious nature of of a human. We're going to worship Mm -hmm. something. You're already onto something. Modern advertising taps into it all the time. Uh, So that that part of your brain is firing almost constantly. Yeah, um, and, the, and art's yeah. really good at that, and, and I think it functions similarly to the way that maybe a, a frequency generator can find resonant frequencies in a building, right? Uh, yes. Just, art is sort of constantly sending out noise into a culture, and a lot of it's going to be lost, and they'll die cynical that nobody ever appreciated my art. But then at some at some point, some artist is going to do something, and the culture is going to rattle Mm. Uh, in a way that's that's not commensurate <laughs> with the le- and and yeah. they're going to say okay what was that and they're going to do it again and then the other artists are going to catch wind on it and you'll see a convergence of art into a style mm. because it's rattling the culture and they often are not the best ones to tell you why they just know it does they but they're yeah. the ones that will usually find that resonant frequency with the culture first and so I think you are seeing. Um, in a way that our culture hasn't in the last generation and a half, at least probably two or three generations where we're resonating with pagan themes again. Mm. And I think that that's something as Christians, we need to pay attention to because there's an opportunity there as well as a warning there. You, you can look at how, um, you, you take the combination of postmodernism and the scientific, um, and and even before that modernism, they, they kind of was a one, two punch of, of palate cleansing America from from a Christian uh, worldview, right? So postmodernism makes uh, reality relative and individualistic. It challenges any kind of transcendent notion of truth. You've got modernism, which uh, connected very closely with materialism and naturalism, that everything everything exists only if it makes sense. You know, if we can explain it with the scientific method, even things like I can scan your brain and figure out where your idols are at without realizing. I actually have no test for your soul. <laughs> you know, right. That doesn't even exist as a category <laughs> in the test. Uh, you do that for a generation or two. And what you'll do is, is not actually change human nature, but you will pry the fingers of a culture off of what it has clung to for worship mm. and for its mythos. And I use that not uh. in the sense of fiction, but in the sense of those stories that are believed to be the norming stories, the stories that tell you about how the world really works. And if you can pry the culture's fingers off of that, the culture will look for something. It will not ever settle long on secularism or naturalism. We're just not that kind of a creature. We will latch onto an ancient story. Yeah of supernatural significance that comes with a transcendent revelation and gives life meaning. Like we will find that somewhere. And I think that's why paganism is making a resurgence uh, is because it is filling that vacuum that secularism and naturalism and, and even modernism has, has left Mm. in the West. What's that line you often hear if you, well, it's not, you don't often hear it, but if you go into the Louvre, you go into any, any kind of an art museum and you're looking around I always find the, the artwork's great, but the people are even better to look around at who's looking at what. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course the stereotypical uh, pose is someone who's got their arm, you know, they're standing arm crossed to you listener. I'm posing <laughs> here, hand on the chin, kind of a slight, uh, somewhat, somewhat cocky turn of the head, looking at the art. And then, and then saying to himself, he says, it speaks to me. That's the frequency, right? So, and, and that happens. Different yes. people, and all of us have this stuff. Yep. And it doesn't make it wrong. It just means that yeah. it, it, that we are we are far more complex creatures than the scientific age ever gave us credit for. <laughs> if anything, uh, Darwinism dumbed us down significantly. 
and and this and this idea of the sci- science is the new religion never spoke to the th- issues of the heart that everyone knows are real. Science can't right. explain hope. It can't explain love. It can't explain mm-hmm. self sacrifice. Right. Um, there's there are limits to what these things are, and so there's this element yeah. of of our reality of who who God made us. And now it's been twisted by sin. But so it makes us almost a paganistic romanticism mm. in the same way that the romantic movement was the was the reaction to the Enlightenment. We've got a a different movement that we're reacting against. But I think this is the, the romantic pendulum swing. Yeah, and I and I think to it it factors into like like I, I guess I would say as a parent, it's not like Anita, grab the kids, we're locking <laughs> the doors, we're not going out anymore. No. Although we are pretty cautious <laughs> about what comes in the house anymore. Sure. Uh, in terms of media content. Doesn't mean we shut everything down. Um, but it does mean that that I, I know I find myself for some time now having more regular conversations with the kids about Oh, what we watch, not to critique it, because there is a part two where the analytical mind can ruin everything. You know, you're watching a sunset, you're just enjoying it for the spectacular beauty that it is, and there's some science nerd nearby. Um, There's part of me that I have to resist this impulse. It's like, well, you know, it's not really orange. That's just the sun's rays coming through the atmosphere (laughs) and hitting specks of dust. And, and, And there's a part of you that wants to say, brother, I love you, but would you shut up? Let's just enjoy the show, right? We don't have to uh, explain and define everything. We can enjoy what God has made. However, when it comes to media content, um, as it's become more and more clear that some of the largest media production companies Mm -hmm. in the world or personalities in the world have very specific cultural and social objectives in the programming Mm -hmm. that they're creating, we ought to be careful. Uh, I just had a discussion earlier today with one of the kids, and it was funny. I I had said rather casually... um, no, this is terrible. I'm probably going to get shut down for this. So we ah. have access to Disney Plus, but we don't, we don't pay for it. No. <laughs> but we don't pay for it? It was gifted to us in a way, in a fashion that I haven't read the small in, in print, a, so I don't a, know. In a, in a fashion. Um, in a fashion. Yes. Any fa- you, boy, was that a consultant answer or not? I was so, going to say. Um, you could tell I was reading contracts I think I heard today. your conscience, right? <laughs> uh, so it's on there. And, yeah. uh, and, one of the, and one of the kids was homesick today. And so she's browsing through some, you know, some, I don't even think it was anything bad. It might've been Moana or something. Right? Mm-hmm. No, and of course we probably have some parents that are like, that's terrible. <laughs> Speaking of paganism, but I, that's right. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we found any of the kids bowing down to, <laughs> to Hawaiian defeat. false deities that's or good. Tahitian false deities. But so, but, but I did say casually, I said, we're not watching that junk anymore. I was trying to sound like my dad. Nice. And, uh, and she's like, what are you talking about? I, and I went into how, you know, a producer over there one of the high level executives has overtly said that, you know, I'm trying to create programming that pushes a particular agenda. Yeah. I think to, to ignore that kind of reality is foolish on our no. part. Mm-hmm. And, and even, even for the adults in the room, um, a steady diet of certain kinds of content. I don't care what you're watching. It, mm-hmm. it, it affects, it affects mm-hmm. us on mm-hmm. some level. Um, what you, what you, immerse your mind in most mm-hmm. you are become like it mm-hmm. and uh, and so or you're affected by it is probably the best way to to describe that so i think i think it's important to be cautious uh not just cautious but i'd say aware i think right. that's a big part of the christian life is being aware of what's going on around me not taking it for granted yeah. um chris you and i were talking earlier about walking in the spirit knowing your bible but also walk using the scripture to know the, know our lord and savior better and walk in wisdom because there are so many 
There are so many distractions swirling about, some of them good, many of them bad, but a lot of them are distractions from the main mm. thing. Right. But I think as you engage with the culture around, don't run from your neighbors. Don't say, oh, I'm not going to that barber shop because there was somebody in there that was covered in tats and, and, <laughs> uh, and piercings. You are the light. Remember the good old days when, when, when that was considered to be. <laughs> that was really edgy. When that was edgy. <laughs> now it's normal. Now it's like, oh, yeah. I, I knew Grandma. I, I knew I was feeling old when I went to Papua New Guinea, went to a mission conference out there. And, um, and a bunch of the missionaries came in with sleeves of tats. And I thought, whoa, who let these guys in? I was like, okay, nice. that's, that's the old guy in the room now. <laughs> nice. um, by the way, when he took a closer look, it, it was pretty interesting. The entire gospel message was on one guy's arm. And I thought that was kind of cool. It was a whole talking point. Mm-hmm. But anyway. <laughs> um, trail, yeah. But I, I think I go back to, for, for those of us, we, we mm-hmm. and, maybe, and I think we're all consciously doing this. Raising our kids to know truth mm-hmm. and raising our kids to stand out in the world and shine. Uh, right. And, and not, and, and that is, that doesn't just happen. Um, it is, it's important to be able to fulfill our mission. And the mission of course, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's the mission. And I think there, there it, there's a tendency to throw I have this impulse at times. There's a tendency to look at what's happening in the world in the darkening culture in which we live in and say, wow, that's bad. I need to move somewhere. Where are you going to move? It's everywhere. There's nowhere to go. Um, Oh, I need to move, you know, to the Midwest or to the South. I got to, I need to just follow, run from the darkness and, and Mm -hmm. God has us here for a reason and it is to reflect his glory into this culture in a darkening culture. And part of the reason it's darkening is because all these folks around running around us are not our enemies. They are created to worship. And right now no one has shared the gospel with them. Uh, then again, mm-hmm. you know, just sharing it with them, isn't going to change them. That's the work of God in their hearts, but we must, we must go out there with boldness and in love. First Corinthians 13, we can do a lot of things, but if there's no love to it, you're a gonging symbol. Uh, you're just a rowdy noise, but go out there and share truth in love and, and that is the calling. That's the purpose for us. So I'm kind well, of stoked. That's half the purpose. Sure. Right? That's half yeah, the great the commission. That's the first start. And then, you know, the making of disciples. At, you know, making disciple isn't just uh, stage one, right? So, right. Yeah. yeah. There's then the, the teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you uh, after having baptized them into that public fellowship with the church uh, and with God's people. And I think that's where we have an opportunity to recognize the play, the scheme that's unfolding in the culture around us and understand what truth corresponds to that. And in some ways it's a wake up call, I think, to Christianity. In some ways we think we've we've modernized the gospel message, we've secularized the gospel message, we've we've stripped it of its wonder, of its ancient stories, of of those things that that run deep and are uh, are fantastic, if you will, about the about the Christian message. And I think we we need to teach our children about the God who who exists outside of space and time and matter and, and who called all things into existence by the word of his power. We need to speak to them about his spirit that that moves in his people uh, with power. We need, we need them to understand that Jesus Christ is both the, he's the root and the branch of David, you know, and, Mm. and just the mystery of the incarnation and Mm. and who he is. We, we need to teach our children. We, you know, going back to Bombadil as, uh, as our namesake here, 
his power came from the fact that he sang the oldest songs. They weren't the only songs that were old, but his were the oldest, Mm -hmm. right? And we sing the songs we've learned from the one who was there before the first note ever broke Mm -hmm. the silence. You could tell Tolkien and Lewis bounced off each other a little bit, right? (laughs) And Lewis's work specifically, the Chronicles Mm -hmm. of Narnia, the deep, the deep magic, right? Was, was, was this term, it was a way of casting the same thing. A conscious goal of trying to re-enchant culture. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a worthy thing because they understood so keenly um, and, and foretold it even in stories of things like that hideous strength by C.S. Lewis that, they were heading for a massive repaganization of England is what they were particularly looking at. That was their context because uh, they had lost a sense of the wonder of the, if, the the magical fabric of a world created by a, by a divine being. And, and, and we can, we can take that and inculcate that into our, into our children. So they, they do look around at the world and, and yes, you can explain uh, photosynthesis, right? But also, to have them just be filled with wonder at the God who can cause a tree to pull wood from the air, right? Trees are carbon, almost exclusively carbon, but it's not carbon they've pulled out of the soil. It's carbon they've stripped off of air molecules. Yeah. And the, just that, blo- just those things that blow your mind that uh, you serve the kind of God who does this. And we've labeled it, but that doesn't mean we've actually understood it, right? You, just because oh, I, love I think G.K. Chesterton I had... That had a, a poem where he said, you know, somehow we think because we've named all of the the furies, I think it was, that now we control them. <laughs> you know, he came with a scientific name for all these things. I, I love Therefore, that. I'm in charge. I that, love that. No. When we label something, <laughs> yes. in a sense, it must be, again, the way the human heart is, has been crafted. <laughs> but we label it and it loses its magic. It certainly you know, can. The fact, that, like, the fact that we understand <laughs> the process of photosynthesis does not diminish in any way that it is supernatural. Right. It is an incredible. We can't replicate it just because we've observed it to understand it. Somehow exactly. we, we diminish it now. And I think in, the, in the, this, ha- this, ha- this has happened in my own Christian life, where at times because I understood this, uh, you know, a systematic approach to understanding what, what, what God's plan for me and what God's plan for humanity and his church is, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, because I've categorized things that I believe are biblical categories, mm-hmm. but in the process of labeling mm-hmm. it, I've somehow diminished its power in my life. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. now I know that. And, right. And there's this, there's this gap, this gap. Oh, that's ha- what sanctification is. <laughs> Next. <laughs> well, so. yeah, exactly. Or that's what redemption, you know, any number of yeah. things. Mm-hmm. And then because I've labeled it, I now know it. And yeah. in some ways though, it, it, it's almost like, okay, I've, I've read that book. It's on the shelf now moving on. Mm-hmm. And I think it, in some ways it reminds me of, of, of what kids do with parents, right? Hey, um, you know, Noel, did you, whatever it is you asked her to do, did you clean your room? Uh, no. Uh, or you say, I told you to clean your room. I know that is what the kid loves to say, right? And of course, it's only Chris's kids, mm-hmm. Caleb. It's not ours to do this. But I know that. And it's one of the things that drives, it's one of the, and I've told the kids, that line is like the worst answer you can give. I know that. Because you still haven't done it. You haven't embraced mm-hmm. it there. And so just the knowing it's important. You must know in order to do, but if that's all you're doing is knowing, um, then you're not really knowing it's even worse actually. Right. And, yeah. and so I think, uh, I think not, and I'm not, I'm not in these days, we live in such a polarized time where all logic mm-hmm. seems to be one way or the other. We can't hold <laughs> two, mm. two apparently opposing ideas in our heads and our hands at one time. I'm not suggesting that we don't label categories or apply structures that help us understand things. What no. I am saying is in the process of doing that, mm-hmm. don't diminish it. 
Right. The, when we use a term, it has to be a signifier of the of the actual meaning and substance of what we're speaking to. And those are realities that we are going to always have to go back to revelation to, to figure out, right? We're going to go back and say, okay, how does God want me to think about a sunrise or a sunset or an earth rotation, if you prefer, <laughs> right? And uh, what is what is the right way for me to think about uh, bosons and quarks and, and subatomic particles and things in the quantum level? Because there, there are answers to those questions. This is not just what it is and not just how it works, but uh, – what am I as a as a image bearer of God to think of of these things? How am I am I meant to love it or am I meant to hate it? Am I meant to use it or am I meant to respect and and leave it alone? It, uh, to what purposes should it be employed and and how does this help me understand truth and and just all of that interpretive framework? And this I think makes a good transition into that word that above all other words when it comes out of our lips uh, poses the greatest privilege to man and the greatest danger to his soul. And that is what we see in the third commandment in the old Testament, which is to not take the name of your Lord, of the Lord, your God in vain. Uh, and it comes with a warning, right? Mm -hmm. The other's like, don't do this, don't do this. And you get to this one and God says, don't speak my name. Don't take it up in vain because he will not leave you guiltless. He will not fail to punish you if you do so. So as you take kind of this all together, uh, this is so much more than just watching out that you don't use God's name as a curse word, right? That's a good baseline, right? That's a good baseline. <laughs> so don't do that. But wh what, is, what is the underlying thing about this that makes this a command that we would be passionate about, militant about, that we would, we would love this command? Kid, what do you think? I know you're on a short fuse today in terms of time. <laughs> Every time you say short fuse, I just think he's, he's going to get to go off. He's going to get I'm really upset I'm any second now. Like he's on a short fuse. I'm, I'm very distracted today. I apologize for that. Are you looking at uh, soap? No, not soap. No, I was looking at biblical texts. Sermon but, uh, prep. Did, did we, did we just, did we just transition to something? Oh, oh no. <laughs> he is so out. That might get him fired. That's it. We no, need to suspend it. We need suspended. to have like porch points or something. Yeah. You got well, I was some like looking at the, I'm like, wait, we got an hour. Uh, how how long are we going here? We just moved on. Uh, did you did you are you third are we in Exodus? We're in Third Commandment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was asleep. I was briefly hey, there, man. Uh, I wasn't sleeping. I've got the waveform to prove it. Oh yes, <laughs> dead. Yeah, you see the snore, the snore. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was actually I was reading some uh, some Calvin a minute ago oh, on, uh, on this third commandment and on, uh, on verse seven. What observations? Now, what does do the scripture you have say? Us? Not John. <laughs> oh, do you want me to read the? Do you want me to read? Did you read the verse? Did you read the commandment? We quoted it. Oh, you did. Oh, sorry. Well, the whole thing. Chris, Chris did. I par yeah, a bit oh. of a paraphrase, but it was the CM. Man, I'm sorry, guys. Chris that was Martin, that was a major. That's hilarious. I'm glad I did it on air too, live yeah. recorded. Yeah, right. It's perfect. It, it, it's a perfect. And Chris Instant had such accountability. A good segue so then, too. what did like, you that ask was me? A pretty that was good a segue. Let's see. I, I thought level. you guys were just still talking about the other thing. That's how good a segue kind of was. It didn't my, uh, even wake Caleb up. <laughs> it didn't. I was trying to listen for it. I was trying to listen for it. The, the question that's been laid on the table. Yes. Yes. What was the um, question? Thank and, you. And Chris, I'm going to paraphrase feel, your feel free paraphrase to, your paraphrase. to rephrase it. Yes. Do that. Oh, Which man. means we're now at the message level. I know. We're paraphrase at, uh, the paraphrase. Um, the the third commandment, and yes. you know, we the obvious baseline being that we don't take the Lord's name in vain. Right. But there's more to it than that. The way we ought to sure. honor and love 
his name, what, what does that, what does that carry for you in terms of, uh, your, your, your initial reaction? And then of course, of how do you put this into practice and how, how might we, I think Chris used the word militant even, um, uh, carry the op- obeying this command out into our, our, our daily lives because, mm-hmm. yeah, because right. we love it. Like because what, we love what, it. Yeah. What makes right. us more than the, don't say that verse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it carries a weight with it. I mean, even more than just I mean, taking the Lord's name in vain, like in in the sense of swearing, which happens a lot um, in our in our world today, um, just as an expression. Um, but uh, but even to I, I think I think and this is what I'm I'm wrestling with a little bit here and trying to think through myself, so you can maybe help me out here, but. But I think even that's even pro, that's pro level down there. Even uh, that's quality, even, quality. <laughs> even, <laughs> but but I think it extends to the level of, of ascribing to him things that are that are not true, um, you know. And so, um, if we're taking the Lord's name and we're we're attaching it to things that maybe are 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 not true of him, um, I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, does that does that is that is that taking the Lord's name in vain? Is it? <laughs> No, I, I don't disagree with you. We don't want to, but I do have a question here, <laughs> even the way, and I don't want to go backwards a session, but I was thinking about this while I was laying next to the pool mm-hmm. on vacation. Um, thinking about how we took the second commandment and we applied it in some specific ways. Now, when you go back and read the second commandment, it's pretty, there's some pretty obvious material of like what, what God says and why he says it. But what, what came to my mind, and, and, and kind of, and I'm not suggesting you were doing this, Caleb, but I want to ask a question of you guys. Sometimes the Bible clearly says what it says with clear meaning of what it says. And, and then there's some implications of it that we could apply or extrapolate. Right. But what I was wondering is, um, do, is, is it, is it wrong or is it imprudent to add, to take it and add on to a point, like you're drawing conclusions that are quite different from what it literally says. So to, to Caleb's point, right? Third commandment, very specific about what and why. And then there's some ways you could apply that. But as you kind of get like, like it's not saying don't add attributes to, to the Lord that are not, that the, that the scripture has not revealed to us, right? It's not saying that, although that would be bad, right? So I guess what I, what I'm wondering is uh, to the, to the point that you made there, Caleb, like it's, it's very specific. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Right. And then we get some, some exposition. But what does that mean Well, to take it in vain? Well, and, but then Mm -hmm. I would, and so that, that's a key question, but what I, what I'm thinking of is what I'm reminded of. And maybe, maybe I'm, I'm drawing a straight line between two points that ought not be connected. But what it reminded me, reminds me of is you go back to, back to the garden of Eden again. And, and in that case, this conversation between the between Lucifer and the, uh, the serpent and Eve, um, Adam had not had not given her accurate information of what God actually said. He had added to it. Um, the 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 Lord had been specific about you are not to eat of this fruit of this tree. She, when she's having the conversation with the serpent. She says that, but she's not even to touch it. And that's not what God said, right? So the, 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 if you, you kind of capture the context of that, it seems that Adam has not given her correct information. He'd added to it. And I wonder if that's, if that, first of all, I, maybe I've connected two things that were not necessarily connecting. Um, but then also 
when we do add things, even with the best of motives, it's kind of interesting. It, it, it leads to a weakening of what God actually said. So I know we're not dealing specifically with third commandment right there with that comment, but I wanted to get you guys reaction uh, or your feedback on that. There's certainly a danger because you can get to the third commandment from there. And I think that the same mistake that happened in the garden, in some ways you can argue happened even in the history of God's people. And it's one of the reasons that we're not actually a hundred percent positive how to even pronounce God's personal name that he revealed to us. Right. And, and so I do think, I do think that it does connect in, in the garden, there was nothing wrong with making the decision. I'm not going to touch it. Right. Right. But what you saw there was there was a preoccupation with the prohibition and not the principle behind it behind that it. created yeah. an opening. It made the prohibition more, uh, more offensive and opened it up for an interpretation that challenged the character of God. And that's what, that's what Satan exploited. Yeah. yeah. So did, did yeah. God really say, and the answer is right. no, God didn't really say uh, in the process of tempting her and, and, mm-hmm. and then Adam choosing to join her. Right. And, and it w- ought to have happened there was, would have been Eve saying, you don't sound like somebody who loves my good God. Mm. And, and Adam standing there with her should have said, you're right. Let's see if we can remove that thing's head. Yes. Right. Mm. That would have been the correct approach uh, in that situation. Instead, she had an abundance of clarity to the point of exaggeration on what I'm not allowed to do in a way that opened up her mind to questioning the character of God behind it. In the law, you see something similar where what the Jews kept doing was obsessing on the prohibitions mm. and then embellishing the prohibitions. Don't work on the Sabbath. Now you can't spit because that might make a furrow exactly. in the ground and that's plowing and, and such. Uh, but Jesus kept getting on their case. You're tithing your mint and your dill and your cumin, but you're you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, which are the actual principles, right? Yes. The mercy and the justice, the things mm. that were meant to be the principles that those those laws were teaching you. And so we don't want to be afraid to extend the principles of a law. So long as we don't lose the principle. Because so yeah. much of Old Testament law was stated as, here's a specific example to teach you how to handle similar cases, right? If, if, you're, mm. if your uh, ox gores somebody and it had a history of goring somebody, well, then now you're both liable mm. because... Uh, if your roof doesn't have a parapet around it and somebody falls off, it, that doesn't mean that you, you can't come along. It was, it was, it was a shed, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, the Pharisees, it taught, a, it taught the, a principle. The Pharisees were the pinnacle of this matchstick religion, right? Right. Uh, and, and Jesus constantly was, was knocking out supports from it. Exactly. And, yeah. Cause the law is all about love, right? If you right. love you, if you love God and you love your neighbor, um, as you should, you will fulfill the whole law. And so, Law is all about how do we how do we love God and how do we love others and so whenever we see the specific commands of the law, of course, in the particular instance, in the particular example it's using, then that just makes it easy. Just do what it said, but that's giving you as well the principle to guide you in all similarly applicable situations. And if you don't understand how this draws you back to a love for God and a love for people, then then you will misapply and you will actually find yourself abusing both Absolutely. the character of God and your neighbor with the law, which Jesus was particularly incensed by. So when you come to the third commandment, I think it's really important that we're, we do ask the question, what what is it about this commandment that that feeds our affection for God, that, that feeds our love for one another? And that that is what we need to, we need to hang on to. And of course, that means an obvious example of using God's name in vain would be to use his name to swear or to curse. 
because uh, we don't have the authority to do that, right? Not not because swearing or cursing are both in inherently evil categories, right? To right. to swear right. something, you see that throughout Scripture. Uh, to curse something, there's a lot of cursing in Scripture, mm. but for us to take up the name of God and to do that in a way that uh, that would make that would there would be a lie about who He is. That is absolutely prohibited. And so for a preacher to stand mm-hmm. up in a pulpit and to say, um, God will God will damn every single person who rejects his son. Yeah, right? that's, that's biblical truth. Right. That is not taking up his name in vain, right. even though it's cursing with his name. Hmm. It, that is actually speaking truth. But hitting your finger with a hammer right. and saying something similar in that moment. Right. Um, that that is, is, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's where you're trying to take the weightiness of the God of the universe and use him as an adjective of human experience. Right, right. <laughs> and and we see that you know the, there's a, a corollary to even strong uh, vulgar language mm-hmm. in our culture where we, you were talking about certain vulgar words that have just become the norm in in, in corporate certain, settings mm-hmm. for example or a military yeah. setting or yeah. a military yeah. settings and uh and you watch this word function as a noun, as an adjective, as an adverb, as a verb. You know, it's, it's very like, versatile. Right, it's very versatile. And you're like, how did that happen? The reason that happened is because the word's not being used for meaning. It's because the word was was heavy at one point in time. Yeah. But the longer that that word is used it, it lacks inappropriately, yeah. It, yeah, that word goes on a diet. And right. eventually that word will be so evacuated of meaning that it will be left on the scrap mm-hmm. heap of, of English history. Interestingly enough, in the English language, there aren't many heavy words left. Right. Uh, which I, I don't know what that means, uh, but it is interesting. Like if someone, and, and even though the, I know the three of us don't, don't employ this kind of language in our, in our daily conversations, uh, but it is interesting when you are talking to people who do, when they truly mean something, they don't know what, what to do say. They, say. <laughs> they just say it more times mm-hmm. right? and or that, louder. <laughs> and how, how terrifying that those to whom God has revealed himself would take a word that signifies him. And, and drag it down to either use it as a manipulative tool. And one of the, one of the contexts of application of a passage like that would be to swear by God as a way of convincing somebody yeah, of something when yeah. you don't actually intend to follow through. Mm. And so the Bible's and, and Jesus is full of warnings about making vows in vain. Uh, don't do that because God took it seriously. Um, we think in a modern context, we ought to, be really careful with our wedding vows, for yeah, example, right. where we make those explicitly before and 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 call on the name of God to be a witness to those things. So there, there's context like that. There's the context of of just using it because I'm I'm bigly mad, so I need a bigly word to express <laughs> it. So I'm going to call the God of the universe down to be a signifier of my minuscule human travails and and how dare we do that? And then there's the other extreme where we do not take up his name at all. Mm. Right. And that, that can be, I think, equally I think for problematic. conservative Christians, we kind of lean, <laughs> if anything, we would lean, tend to lean that way more. Um, and not saying that we do, but if there was a temptation <laughs> one way or another, churches, right. church, mm. church congregations, like we're a part of, uh, communities of faith that we tend, the mm-hmm. three of us tend to be a part of probably f- not finding, um, I'm not saying this won't happen, but in general, mm-hmm. not finding, uh, God's name being abused, uh, but if anything, perhaps it's so it's, I am so low and he is so high. Right. Even, now, I've, now I've created a false distance 
um, right. be- between me and, and my savior because my, because my, my anthropology is flawed, right? I, right. Even though I'm saved, I'm sad. still nothing. I'm still awful. I'm living and I live in this, this, this <laughs> self image that, and I'm not trying to prop up self image, but I'm living in this self image that I'm just a lowly fleshly prodigal. I'm awful. And, uh, which is usually pride when you get down to totally it. <laughs> pride. It's it, it, yeah, self deprecation yeah. always finds itself back to the, right. well, it's, it's focused on self, right? It reminds you of the guy who buried his talent, right? Totally. Well, cause I just respect you so much. He's like, no, you don't. If you respected no. me at all, even if you were afraid of me, if you, you would have been terrified to be such a bad steward in a way, you know, and that, and I love that the parable there, if you truly knew him. Yes. You would know that's the worst thing to do. Exactly. So cautious. And, and by the way, I know we're off third commandment here, but this is interesting. Two, two topics popped up. One, the sense of the familiar. Right. Um, for those of us that are people of the book, we become so familiar with the book because we live in it. It's part of mm-hmm. our culture. And I'm not saying we ought not to. The, God's word, the Bible ought to be, I mean, it is, it is the most powerful, mm-hmm. potent, specific form of revelation God mm-hmm. has gifted us with. The natural revelation tells us something. Mm-hmm. The, the scriptures tell us the rest of the story, right. at least for the, at least for this mm-hmm. time in, in, in history, mm-hmm. if we want to call it that. But I think sometimes that sense of familiar, we find ourselves in the, I know that mode. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting, like that the over, and, and I'm not, <laughs> We want to be familiar with him, but not to the point where we the relationship with him has become something like, yeah, I know that. I know this, exactly. is, a, this is a relationship with God. I know that. And it's like, yeah, but do you actually have a good one or not? So that sense right. of the familiar can well, make you too casual. Maybe like a you see there there are doctors you've probably gone and seen a medical professional and you can tell they're right out of medical school perhaps <laughs> and they're still very intimidated by their task. Yes. Right. And so they they have a sense of wonder, but it's more of the wonder as in like I'm actually wondering if you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then right. there's uh, the the jaded doctor, right, where the human body is. It's just a set of diagrams and labels. It's a dissectable thing. It's a car engine. It's a car engine. <laughs> and then there's the kind of doctor who has dedicated his life to this and it has only become increasingly fascinating to him. And you can tell he's still amazed at how the eyeball works. He's still amazed yeah. at the rotation of the wrist. He's still amazed at the about the ability of the body to heal itself and, and how he as a, as a healer can be part of that process. And, and that's, I think that's where we want to come as, that's as a, a Christian. Picture. And so we don't want to be those who, because of a, a, um, a short-sighted, a, a, a weak, a misguided understanding of God. Uh, we are intimidated by him in the way that causes us to either devalue him or, uh, mm. or, or use, use his name in a way that's contrary to his character. Mm. But we also don't want to become the, that weird, uh, I think a, a broken uh, kind of Christian that, that refuses to accept that this God actually wants me to know him. That runs from him. Right. Uh, that feels like, yeah. oh, I've messed up again. Oh, he's, yeah. he, it, it, that's a misunderstanding of, of the yep. heart of God. He already, he, he knows you're jacked up, right? Yeah. That's why he died for you. Mm. And this, this sneaks into our Christian culture. One of the things, there's a new translation that came out recently that made a big deal about this and it, it put a spotlight on it. The, in the Old Testament, right, they were so scared that they would mispronounce God's name yes. or, or do or take it in vain that they would not actually read it. They would take some of the letters, they would combine it with vowels from the word Adonai, and then they would right. read that instead in its place. And English translations actually picked up that yes. pattern. And so we decided we're going to put Lord in all caps in our Bible. <laughs> like, yeah. And so we read and we keep talking about the Lord, Ezekiel. the Lord, the Lord. And... 
there's just a big difference between adios caleb if uh <laughs> if you were in a meeting for example right sorry i'm laughing folks caleb's no. escaping the room and i've got this microphone at an awkward angle okay now we're back we're yeah back. like you know if you're in a boardroom for example and, and you're in a meeting and and somebody's talking and he's he's talking about the work that you're doing and he keeps saying, well, the manager discovered this and the manager discovered that and the manager related this and the manager communicated that and the manager's character is this and the manager knows that and and waving over in your direction every time. There there might be a sense of respect that or of appreciation that you would have that they respect your managerial position. But that's a world of difference between if they said Nate said this and Nate said that exactly. and Nate did this and Nate yeah. did that. Beca- and if that was the name that you had given them to use for you... And you knew that they said that because they understood the relationship they had with you and they were still correctly describing your work and your knowledge and your accomplishments. They weren't saying that as a way to diminish you. Uh, that is actually so much better. Oh, far better. Yeah. And so when God says Yahweh, 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 over and over and over, and then we have just generations of Christians that grow up just reading Lord, 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 Lord. <laughs> I think that does actually have an impact on the way that we view our God. And it becomes dare I say, in danger of violating even the third commandment. And that uh, one way that I think you can take up God's name in vain is to actually efface it. Mm. Well, it reminds me of that same dynamic we just discussed uh, back in the garden. What did God actually say? And and we, mm-hmm. we feel like we need to add to things, or in that case, we got to treat it with such holiness that we need to detract from it. And I mean, mm-hmm. as, you, as you know, the history of these manuscripts as they were copied, some some of these groups that uh, were responsible for that would go and bathe before and after yes. and, 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 and all these trappings to it, mm-hmm. which is which is really a, a kind of a legalistic impulse, if you, if you will. If it's an act of... If it's an act of adoration, I'm fine with it, <laughs> right? If as a scribe, you said, I have so much value for who God is that I want to make sure I bring no corruption into the process of conferring his name. Cool. Yeah. If you're saying as a scribe, I've decided <laughs> I am so holy, I will not copy the name that God gave us. Right. Um, so that's a problem. I'm going to go further than what God said. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I just, yeah. I think this, um, I, I think that other areas of this, people that call themselves Christian, you're carrying mm-hmm. the name of Christ, you've identified that is, you're carrying that name out into the world. And, um, and then you, then you deface it in some way with your behavior, or I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm this kind of Christian, or that kind of, there's just a casualness. And I think, um, I think what can happen generation after generation, and maybe the initial uh, you know, maybe the first generation was was properly motivated. Mm. But what can happen is the next generation, the next generation just simply adopt a ritual. They adopt right. a tradition. They adopt a set of of habits or right. or routines that the routines and habits may be actually good, but there's nothing at the center of it. There's not a, a friendship. There's not a, a, a moment-by-moment reliance upon the power of God and a moment-by-moment adoration of who he is. What ends up happening is... Uh, you end up having a very hollow form of Christianity, or in some cases, not even a true form of Christianity. It, it kind of reminds me of of what a lot of Orthodox Judaism looks like now. A lot of um, a lot of devotion, um, a lot of of strong commitment to portions of of God's Word, the Torah specifically. A lot of tradition, and and yet it's heartbreaking to see that at the center of all this is not the God, not Yeshua. Not Jesus, 
it's not it's not the God of the Bible. It's something else that has emerged. And and there's so much value placed on the tradition and on the knowledge of tradition. And of course, the Talmudic understanding of what Torah says. So commentaries about commentaries about commentaries. And what you see over time is it's heartbreaking. I think it's heartbreaking as 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 one of the Gentiles that was grafted in. And if you look at Hebrews for the pro- the purpose of provoking them to jealousy back to the the God whom whom the God of Abraham. Right. Um, it's just, it's interesting how, how religion, I think religion, it's not always bad. Uh, and by religion, I'm not talking about as, as the scriptures define religion, um, orphans and widows, caring for orphans and widows, but I mean like uh, the religious trappings that, that have emerged yeah. over time. It's not always bad, but if you get away from the center of it, I think it earlier when we were talking prior to the, till we hit pressed record, what comes to mind is a picture of the of the of a European cathedral, and we've been to the. If you've been to Europe, they're gorgeous, they're unbelievable. One that comes to mind uh, here in the U.S. is the National Cathedral, a gorgeous architectural feat, mm-hmm. uh, a, a space that you feel small by by design. I actually went to a Sunday morning service there once, and it was because it was close, and I was going to Handel's Messiah later in the day in the same building, so went over there. And uh, beautiful, beautiful building. And even when I got, when you walk in, they hand you the the bulletin. Mm. The bulletin is beautiful. It's like, wow, somebody put some time into this. Um, Sat in a service where there was more scripture read than probably a lot of Bible church services I've been to. And then when it came time, um, responsive reading, scripture to scripture. Liturgy, yeah. Um, And and. And then it came time for the message, and then the minister, uh, she uh, focused her 15-minute discussion on a conversation that she and her wife had had recently about, like, the fall leaves or something. Um, and, and, then, and then we went back to singing songs I was very familiar with. And it was just fascinating to me. that, it, that And I wasn't part of this body. I was just there because we were in town. But, but what struck me was this beautiful building and even God's word. Mm-hmm. Which was which was carried in a in a way of respect, uh, with respect because it was a key part of the the service that had taken place. And yet, at the heart of it, it was not. It was I would say to me not readily apparent that the living God, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and His gospel that He bled for, and His power in which He was raised, it was not clear that the gospel and all of its glory was the center of anything that happened that day. Mm-hmm. And I think that can happen with these trappings, these additional things um, that it may have initially been meant to help yeah. uh, or to 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 guard our, guide our hearts in worship to the Almighty. But I, I think the same tale can be told in numerous cathedrals throughout England, numerous cathedrals, Using the cathedral as an example of of something that that once represented a relationship and awe for the Almighty, but now represents some kind of other experience that that is not centered on the, on Jesus Christ at all. Right. So if you do not pass on, you don't pass on a love for God, then then everything that is erected will evolt, will ultimately come to vanity. It, mm. it just it will. And I and I think maybe the bottom line for that for our families and for us is we must always be cognizant of the fact what a great privilege it is that God has allowed us to carry his name on our lips Mm. and that every time we invoke his name, we invoke him and we ought never to do that in any way that would be untrue for who he is or in a situation where he would not be one that could bless that. 
And, and so there are times when we absolutely must and should invoke the name of our Lord, mm. of Yahweh, <laughs> yeah, uh, of the God who has covenantal love for us. But every time we do, it ought to be in a context that we can say, and this is consistent with who God is and with what God wills. And and I think if we can if we can pass on that sense of what a privilege it is to be able to speak His name to to our children, that that is what will help to preserve this law as a, as a blessing and not just as I'm not allowed to swear, <laughs> but as. I am, I'm known by the God of the universe. He told me his name. He Mm -hmm. lets me use it. And, and how dare any of his creatures do so in a way that would diminish him in any way. Oh, it makes me think of, of our future someday when every knee will bow. Yes. At the name of Jesus, some will bow out of terror and, and face a, a a horrific eternity beyond our imagination Others will, but at that, it, it, the name, that's what the name of Jesus will mean for those who have rejected him. Right. But for those of us that have been bought, those of us who've been redeemed, those of us who've been transformed, those of us who've been indwelt and sealed by the God's spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, that same name for us is hope and joy, reverence mm-hmm. for sure. But there is a warmth there and intimacy yeah. beyond anything we'll experience with any other relationship. So amazing that, that the name of God, depending on how you respond to his call for salvation, depending on how you respond to this, his name means very different things. It either means terror and judgment um, mm-hmm. or, or it means uh, awesome reverence, but love and warmth and security. Uh, right. Just what, what a difference uh, depending on how you've responded to his name, to his call, uh, to, to become one of his children. Right. So what a privilege we have. And, you know, there's that song we sometimes sing, you know, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O Lord. (laughs) That should never change. Like we should always love to shout his name. Uh, but we should also fear and tremble Mm -hmm. uh, because his name is the name and, and we bear it. And that's that's a, the, the privilege and the challenge of the Christian life is to be able to try to conform our lives and our lips yeah. to the to the name and to the image of the one that we've been created after. And so that's probably a, a decent place to start mm. bringing us in Love for it. a landing today. Um, I'm ready to go out and talk about it. <laughs> absolutely. <even more>. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Praise God. Yes. So. Yeah, we want to bid you farewell. Thank you for joining us, those of you that have been along for the long haul here on the on the porch today. Uh, a lot we've we've covered from paganism to UFOs to not taking God's name in vain, and yet in some way they're all connected. Uh, we want to carry around with us a strong sense of the aesthetic that we can spot the true, the good, and the beautiful. Uh, whether it's in a conspiracy theory, whether it's in art, whether it's in electronic dance music, and we are so committed. To the true, the the to the true, the good and the beautiful, because those are reflective of our God, and understand that every time that we would invoke His name, we would bring Him in in His fullness to that conversation. And so, let's make sure that we're careful we do that in a way that brings Him much glory. 